Greetings, super friends. Welcome to Superman and Lois and Pals. I'm Henry Bernstein, and alongside me is my favorite super pal, Professor Sam Brody. Hello, Sam. Hey, Henry. It's so good to see you. It's so good to hear your voice. Um, I feel like there are other movie, old school like movie things on your mind right now. Maybe Batman and Robin and the Terminator movies, Steel. But um, I wanted to talk to you about, we're going to talk about Superman and Lois in, uh, in a second, but we had some like pretty big movie news yesterday in terms specifically in the world of Superman. And I'm sad to say that we lost Richard Donner, the great uh, director of Superman the movie and um, sort of half of Superman 2. And of course, The Omen and Goonies and Lethal Weapon, just a, a master at uh the action adventure genre and so i just wanted to say condolences to his his wife and family and i'm i'm bummed i'm sad i, I love richard donner yeah i mean he was a great he was a great yeah for sure i mean superman aside i wasn't aware of like directors of movies when i was a, a little kid so like the all of those movies i mentioned i saw except for the omen omen because i don't like scary movies but I saw those as a kid. And so I didn't think like, oh, Richard Donner is a great director. And even Superman, the movie, I wasn't aware of who the director of it was until probably 2001 when they released the DVD, which had all the extras on it. You know, there's the commentary and the interviews and the making of, you know, I, I don't think his name gets mentioned in, among, you know, some of the the greats that and you think of and just like rattling off those seven movies six movies or so that's quite a career already yeah i think you know not all of richard donnie's were great but he did direct an unusual number of great movies yeah um that's a great point that's a great distinction and and i think there are not many directors outside of the upper echelon like Spielberg or Kubrick where those movies were also as different from each other right? as he Richard Donner's great movies right. like The Goonies and Lethal Weapon and Superman and The Omen you mentioned they're just like very different from each other um, and it's kind of like the spirit is to keep trying different things now maybe Spielberg is less true for him because Spielberg's movies all have this certain kind of Spielberg-y feel. Um, and I don't think Donner is, would often be compared to Kubrick by many people, but I've just been watching all the Kubrick movies, so I have them on my mind. And there, I think you have a real case of a director who made something like one movie every decade or something because he had an idea and they're so different from each other, like 2001, Clockwork Orange, Doctor Strange Love. Barry Lyndon, Full Metal Jacket, right? And that's actually kind of who comes to mind a little bit for me when I think about Richard Donner. Like, the level he's playing on is different. He's doing different things, obviously, as a director than Stanley Kubrick. But in terms of just, like, trying stuff out and doing different stuff. Yeah, I mean, to make that wide range of, like, very, you know important action adventures about movie about one of the most important pieces of mythology in America in, you know, a hundred years, um, a kid, a, a kid's adventure movie, a horror movie, 
um, and 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 a, and a buddy cop movie the, of the movies I just mentioned, you know, and so that that is such a diverse, and I guess good directors do that, right? Like, who knows today would he have been, you know, pigeonholed into making, you know, uh, you know, like Jerry Bruckheimer type movies? I don't know, but um, in terms of Superman the movie the one word that comes to mind and this has been said over and over again about him in the last 24 hours or so is the verisimilitude that the original superman the movie who knows what direction the Saul kinds could have taken it in and certainly the script by mario puzo that actually needed to be rewritten rewritten by tom mankiewicz and and donner it could have superman it could have gone horribly wrong and he had this approach of this is an American icon, an international icon who is beloved. We have to take this seriously as if this is something that really happened. And, you know, as this is as important as Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, right? Like in terms of Superman um, representing something and that commitment to it. And I'll even defend the, the, the can you read my mind love scene if I need, if I need to, because I know that's where this this argument of, of seriousness goes veers off a little bit but that commitment to verisimilitude this idea that we are showing you something that looks real it's a it's fake it's a fabrication but i'm presenting it to the real and maybe it's just how movies were made back then but the practical effects the matte paintings the um uh the zoptic effect for the flying like they had to invent flying it hadn't been done yet and, you know, and of course, a lot of that you, you, you owe to Reeve for figuring out how to do the bank and, you know, because he was actually a pilot and all of the performances, the wonderful cast, but his commitment to making it feel real, I think has reverberated throughout um, comic movie, the, the good, the both successful and good comic book movies that like this commitment to um, reality in a way, you know, you feel it in like Captain America, the first Avenger, right? Like, um, and, he, and even the Winter Soldier to a, to a certain extent that like this is important. Yeah, I think that that sense is definitely there, um, and I think that is part of what gives the movie a sort of feeling of um, weight. But I actually don't think that that's connected to verisimilitude. Say more. I just don't think that icons are real. Like, I mean. That's not how I think of, uh, like, they feel unreal. That's, like, sort of the point of them. Even if it was about a real person, like, if the movie was about Babe Ruth and not Superman, um, Babe Ruth doesn't feel real either. Like, right. you know, there, there's a, it's, it's unreal, but I think maybe in the sense of, like, not being kind of cartoony or not just being slapstick or ridiculous or not being played for laughs, that, that level of verisimilitude, yeah, that's there. But, like... I don't know the um i've never as we know you know we've talked about this many times i've never liked the lex luther in that movie never liked otis and miss tessmacher it's condolences to the Beatty family for the great ned Beatty passing about a week ago mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's i think a point of contention from a lot of superman fans about you know that version of luthor and i think that that's also that would be a you know, in the column of things that don't quite hit home for a lot of people in this movie, 
Lex Luthor would be that. Like Lex Luthor was the this version of Lex for for whatever reason was the comic relief in this movie, I'm and that was just an odd choice. And so like that would be put in the category of like not a great choice for this movie. Also, you know the love the love theme the can you read my mind in big movies back then some had big musical numbers and so like he was trying to do something where like the first part the, the first act of this movie in smallville is americana the second act is big you know big city funny crazy um slapstick bombastic thing that has a, a music scene in it you know musical didn't work 100 because margot kidder couldn't sing so she just said it you know maybe one or two other things that don't quite work but i i think the verisimilitude thing I, I hear what you're saying but i think like the tagline you will believe a man can fly to this day i watched that movie and Christopher Reeve as Superman looks like he's flying in the sky in reality. Like that looks real way more than anything today, than any of the Snyder stuff or any other version of heroes flying. There's just something about that. And I think that's what I mean. Like, like that's what I want to see in a movie. I want to like come out of my, my reality and just go into this world and think it's real. So I think that's, I mean, and part of this, listen, I'll, I'll be the first to admit this is all nostalgia for me in many ways. I mean, Superman itself is, but like my first introduction to Superman was Superman, the movie. So um, for me, it'll always be, you know, I'll appreciate Richard Donner for that. In terms of this show, Superman and Lois and Pals, and we'll get more into this in a minute, but I think the approach of the writing team, it, they seem to have a part of that. They want to present the, um, these characters as not silly and not comic booky, even though I think comic books are fine. Um, you know, especially Lois and Clark, they're they're presenting them with this sense of of real of realism, reality. And I think, and I, I'm feeling it from like heavy influences from the movie. I don't know if you are. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no way to do unless you're. There's no way to not refer to that movie in a live action Superman thing in some way. Like either you're influenced by it and you display the influence or you, even if you're like revolting against it, it's still there as an influence. Um, and so I think the way the Fortress of Solitude looks, for example, continues to be influenced by that. The Jor-El talking, how he sounds, how he works as a sort of advisor type continues to be from that um the way i don't know the way metropolis feels like the sort of big city hijinks that you were talking hustle about. bustle yeah yeah that new that's york really, it's new york let's let's be I real mean, but it's not all of new york it's like downtown new york right. it's right. like the business area of new york and there's never like you know um like, uh, I was thinking recently about the death of Superman because of the Eradicator stuff. And um, I remember, you remember in the comics back then, they used to always talk about Bibbo. Um, and they used to also like skip over to John Henry Irons and show what was going on in, in Suicide Slum and stuff like that. In live action Superman, you almost never get any other neighborhoods of Metropolis except where the Daily Planet is, like in the middle of downtown. And I think part of the reason for that is the Donner movie. Um, 
just because it like gives the sense of like what matters here is energy. What matters here is like the sense of exact movement and like uh, and and kind of just like speed and like Superman comes from that and 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 exemplifies that. And so I think insofar as that's true, although here we're mostly in Smallville and, and Smallville, the portrayal of Smallville too is influenced by and the whole, I think, I don't remember that much about how it was in the um, Silver Age comics or the Bronze Age comics, but like Jonathan Kent dying first and then Martha later, right? I think that's- Yep, that predates Donner. Okay, right? that's what I might've thought. Right, right. Like that, that, that is the deathbed thing that was actually written by Jerry Siegel. Um, so that, that predates Donner, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, everything in this show, everything, you're right. Every live action is influenced in, in, in some way, um, by Donner. So I just want to say, I'm, I'm sad about this. I mean, you know, he was 91, but I, you know, and honestly, I, I tweeted this out or something that like, I honestly, I always like hoped secretly that he would come back and make another Superman movie, you know, like this bizarre family, like at 88 years old, he was going to come. Cause there was like, there was a report about two years ago that he was coming back to direct lethal weapon five, five or I think with the original cast, you know, that uh, horror. And I was like really annoyed about it. Cause Mel Gibson sucks in so many ways. Um, but I was like, well, I can't he come back. Why couldn't he come back and do a Superman, you know? <laughs> but uh, that, who knows what that would be like. Um, after I heard the news and was actually kind of surprised to see that he didn't direct anything in the last 15 years. His last movie was 2006. But like, yeah, okay. So he was 76 or something and he felt like he was going to stop doing his job. That's like completely understandable. Right. Um, but I was somehow surprised like that he hadn't been doing anything for that long. And I also will just say completely irrelevantly to this show that as a kid, I was a pretty big fan of Radio Flyer, um, which is a weird movie, like a very weird movie. Um, and as a teenager, I was also kind of a fan of Conspiracy Theory, which is another weird movie. I love I that movie. Been... Patrick Stewart is the villain. Yeah. Yes, those glasses and that and, broken nose. And yeah, I love mm-hmm. that movie. <laughs> um, I've always been a big fan of Lethal Weapon 2. The movie I can think of, big American action tentpole blockbuster where the bad guy is apartheid South Africa. Like, <laughs> straight, like, like as if they were the Soviets or the, you know, whatever, like any other bad guy in a major American movie. And that was like 1989. So like... I don't know, it was not too far from when like Reagan had been trying to keep USAID going to South Africa and like they had a big vote that was like controversial in Congress and you didn't know which way it would go on like whether the US was gonna continue to support apartheid South Africa. So I always like thought that was pretty cool. Let's talk about uh, Superman and Lois, episode 10, a brief reminiscence in between cataclysmic events. This episode is directed by Gregory Smith, written by Brent Fletcher. In the past, Clark travels to Metropolis, meets Lois, and they marry and have children. However, he discovers that his reminiscences are a ploy by his worst enemy to learn his weakness and force him to submit. So I I think we're probably going to, for the bulk of this, 
just talk about the first 25 minutes. I have to say my initial reaction, this is where, you know, we talked about how I haven't been super hyperbolic in a while, but at the end of those 25 minutes, I just sat there and at the like first commercial, or that, not first, that third commercial break or whatever. And I was like, that was the best 25 minutes of TV I've seen in 10 years. <laughs> and so that, that was just my initial feeling and reaction. What was your just initial, like, as they were going beat by beat of Superman things that you were familiar with, how, what was your initial feeling on, on how they did all that? We, we'll go. We'll probably have to go beat by beat. If we go beat by beat, you're going to have to lead through the beats. Oh, and happy like, to introduce them all. But I will say that my initial reaction was actually something that they did that was not a typical beat, which was that they changed it from Lois is the lead reporter on Superman to Lois is the lead reporter on other stuff and complains about how much attention Superman is getting. And that complaint affects how Clark sees the news also. That is a change that I think should become canonical from now on. And every future version of the story of Lois and Clark as reporters on the planet should do it that way, because that is way better than the old way. Like the old way where Lois is like getting beat by Clark for Superman stories was goofy. Like it was a campy thing. Like, because basically the idea was you're the audience, you're in on the joke. You know that Clark is Superman. So he gets all these stories first and there's no way Lois can win. Right. Which is, it, that's just like, that's one joke though. Like if you're going to tell that story for real, it can't be based on like one joke. So this is much better. The idea that she's just like, Superman is distracting from something else I want to cover. And the one thing I didn't love necessarily was that they, I, I love that Adam man was there, but I didn't like that. They turned her kind of systemic sort of story into something that had a supervillain in it. Like after all, but that was, you know, a small complaint in light of the larger, very cool thing that they did. First of all, I really like that Lois's drive to write and to, be a reporter is not just the truth, which we've seen at, until this point, but helping people. Like she wants to help. She is a superhero herself and she does it with her pen or her laptop or whatever. And I, she wasn't mad about Superman or that like other people, she's like, there are other people who write this story. Like there, there's the big, you know, loud man in the middle of the bullpen who will get the story. That's fine. I need to, I'm, trying to do my job that helps people and you know, like she didn't have like a problem with superman right they didn't try to make that she just was like someone else will deal with it and then having her and clark fall in love over that but from working together was just so yum like it, it felt very modern age comic like mike carlin comics like how that happened, like just naturally working together and him and her seeing like, oh, he's a smart guy who has good in instincts and like even acknowledging. I'm in love with someone else, Clark from the paper. We've been dating for a couple months. I know he's dorky, but I love him. That like, I know he's a dork, but I love him anyway. You know, and, like, yeah. it's just that with that transition of like, not necessarily needing Superman being interested in Clark and then seeing, oh, this guy wants to help me. Okay. And then they fall in love over that. That was just such a nice 
and mm-hmm. they didn't need to show us that much. Like they did that in a in a couple minutes. Yeah, I really love that. I would have liked it given that they took that tack if they had kept the old early burn thing where Superman doesn't get filmed or photographed. Um, because I kind of feel like it was still a little silly that she's like sitting across from him in an interview and like doesn't see that it's just Clark Kent not wearing glasses. Um, he could be, he should be like a little more scarce. Or like, even if he's talking to her directly, it's just like a few seconds and he flies away. I did think that the scene was very cute, the way that they like made, you know, her have this like girl talk about like, oh, you know, is Superman into me? Well, I don't care. I don't really like him. And then, oh, remember he has super hearing? That was cute. That was cute. I, I just love that the reason why Superman decides to tell her his identity and propose basically they kind of wrap that off but the one thing is that is because he overhears her saying that he loves clark because in the comics and in every other iteration the whole they would fabricate this whole love triangle that like you know she loves him but i really want her to love the real me you know clark she mm-hmm. has to love clark ken and she never does just this just subverted that a little bit you know it just made mm-hmm. it a little different and it was nice it was really nice yeah i mean i think they i don't remember it that well but didn't they they sort of did that on lois and clark too right like where eventually clark gets her to fall for him as clark but like initially she doesn't i think in the in the season finale he's he's like i love you and she's like i'm marrying lex and then lex like jumps off the building or something and then, like the following season, he tell yeah, she like starts to get into him. But yeah, I mean that's true. They did they did do it a little bit. Let's go beat by beat because this was and, and I've got it here. So this was this was good. The origin. The episode opens up with young Clark traipsing through the Arctic, wearing a flannel very similar to the one Jeff East wore in Superman the movie. I just want to say, first of all, I like the little small thing that the crystal isn't green. I always found that confusing in Superman the movie that kryptonite and the crystal uh, were green. So I like that. We get the, yeah, the, the Richard Donner, Marlon Brando, Fortress of Solitude, and holograms is born. They did this really cool visual effect that I really liked where Clark is running really fast and he morphs into Tyler Hecklin. And it was sort of like, that is the passage of time. Like he he achieved full maturity, maturity. You know, he went from the first pond far Spock to Leonard Nimoy, you know, like. <laughs> Here's what I don't get though. And this is something I never got in the Donner movie either. Were we supposed to understand that he literally spent something like five years, years or 12. Whatever, 12 years in the fortress? Because that always struck me as unbelievable. It's, like, it's too much. Unless he was inside some kind of capsule or something where like all this stuff got downloaded into his brain. But if that were true, he should be more alien and less human because he spent 12 years in an alien fortress learning about his alien culture. He just never called his mom that whole time. Like what? I don't believe that. Yeah. I mean, it's 12 in the movie. I don't know what it is here. It doesn't seem to be 12 because I don't know. 
Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and Friday Night Lights are in the movie theater when he comes back to Smallville. And that's two, that was 2004, summer of 2004. Okay. So he left, when did he leave? When he was about 17 or so? Yeah. So does that help us out at all? Like, we don't really know. How old is he supposed to be now? Well, I mean... He would have to be 34 if he was... Well, yeah. You know, 2004 is 17 years ago. So if he was older than 17 then, he would be too old. But we, we've been right. making him younger. Right. Well, I think he's supposed to be in his 40s now, right? Like. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Right. That makes like he's sense. supposed to be 41 or 42. So... have to be 24 in that scene. In that scene, when they... When they right. meet so the, then he the would have been gone for like seven years. So maybe, she, and maybe she was okay. So so seven years. Yeah, I like that that a little more. I mean, that does seem crazy. And then, like, I guess he just fabricated a fake college degree in the fortress. Why didn't he go to? Why didn't he just go to college? Like, yeah. I just don't get this this yeah. amazing amount of time spent to the fortress. I don't. I can't take that seriously. That seems like. Like, what could he possibly have been learning that he couldn't learn with x-ray vision and super hearing? Yeah, I mean, he learned every human language. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> I love he that, didn't do by that the way. in the fortress, did he? He learned that, like, by, like, being around people. You can't learn yeah. languages just from books. You need to, like, talk to people. So, yeah, like, it's from, like, going to the Burmese jungle and learning whatever they're speaking there. And, yeah. Cantonese. It to me that he would just go to college, like major in journalism, and then go around the world. Right. Like after he was in the fortress, at most one year in the fortress. I cannot. His poor mom, like just at home in Smallville, wondering where he is. I cannot believe that he leaves her there with no visits or anything. Uh, that was a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess. In Superman the movie, oh no, she's still alive. So he's gone for 12 years, right? But yeah, he doesn't even call home once. Let's talk about Perry White. Mm-hmm. What a nice, kind yet firm, gentle yet fatherly, brief Perry White that was. I mean, mm-hmm. wasn't yelling. Actor Paul Jarrett, great job. I like Lane Smith as Perry White. That's, I thought that was a really good one. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's generally... The form of Perry White I like is like a little bit gruff, a little bit cynical. Like he should be a little bit more world weary than Lois and a little bit less suffering of fools. Um, so maybe not too grandfatherly, but also like interested in mentoring young journalists and like wanting them to see them do a better job um, and be better, um, not out to score points for no reason. Right, and I like that Clark, he came in with nothing and he's like, please just give me a chance. But like, there's something about Clark Kent that he's just, you give him a chance. And what a smart move by, you know, he says like, stick with Lane or whatever. And he's like, who? And, but he he does, he takes Barry's advice. He could have gone off. He doesn't know anything. He could have gone off and tried to find his own story or fabricate an interview with Superman since he is Superman. Um, but instead he, He's just like, oh, she's onto something, and he follows her around, and he's like, oh, I can be helpful here. That made sense. That like, that's how Clark became a good reporter. I'm not getting the sense that Lois is the 
world famous Pulitzer at that point reporter. But then when she's sort of hosting that TV show, kind of seems like she is. So I don't know. What, what are you getting from Lois in that early? Yeah, it doesn't seem like he is overawed by her. Like she's a famous person who is, that he's lucky to get any of her time. Um, They're peers so, more. Right. Like definitely it seemed like she's a little earlier on in her career. Yeah. Um, which makes more sense for that depicting that era, I think. Like she's a, she should be like a little older than him, but not like it doesn't really make sense that um he would be assigned to her if she was like a complete superstar. Because right. then she can kind of write her own ticket and like be writing a book or like doing a bunch of stuff completely independently and even Perry White wouldn't be able to just saddle her with this like greenhorn like novice reporter that would follow her around like maybe as an assistant or something it would make sense but like not more than that the vibe i sort of got was like clark was sort of her research assistant like mm-hmm. like at a law firm you know like you would have at a law or you you might have a research assistant right yeah. like if you're working on a book or something um it did kind of seem like that i like that i don't know if you remember but in superman returns they say at one point that she's like 22 and they also say, which makes no sense, and they also say that she got a Pulitzer for an op-ed. Uh, and I'm just like, no, I'm sorry. It's like yeah. an op-ed. And she gets a Pulitzer for that. And I'm just like, no. Among the many reasons I dislike that movie, that is just like, no. Her Pulitzer is not for an op-ed. Come on. <laughs> like, it's for reported work. Like, make up something else. Just like, whatever. But not an editorial. Actually, an editorial <laughs> about Superman. Like, right. no. <laughs> right, right. That Like, that's how she got her Pulitzer, not from, like, taking down Lex Luthor or if that's in the same universe as as the original movies, like, how about My Night with Superman, the first right. story she wrote? Like, right, she, like, she gets the exclusive <laughs> interview? Okay. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, okay, you got me there. A couple cool little things that um i clocked was clark's a seinfeld fan yeah. <laughs> like and that's so great because you know how much jerry is a superman fan you know yeah. he talks about him all the time he's in a ton of his material they have a super bowl commercial together and and now it's canon that clark kent is a seinfeld fan that made me yeah. so happy that and, and that that also like gave us a time frame of when that was that's right? true like mm-hmm. that, like Seinfeld went off the air in '97, so or '98, mm-hmm. so that must have must have been around. Well, but then. that makes it a continuity error unless he's watching reruns. Reruns, they went on reruns pretty fast. So yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was great. And then it was funny that like the in the movie theater there was Harry Potter playing and Friday Night Lights and like the whole football stuff in this show is clearly like. The Friday, like Friday Night Lights, both the movie and the show, like sort of invented that thing. Right. So that's a nice, right. a nice little um, nod. I guess the only thing left to talk about this episode is the last. Okay, so they sort of did like a Black Mercy thing to him, right? He's yeah, living in, okay. he's living in a world. These are memories, but like they're living in a world, and you know the transition, having it be during the birth of their children, was cool. Definitely a cool thing, but. I kind of lost steam at that point in the episode because I was so excited about seeing the history. I would have been totally okay if this had just been a bottleneck episode mm-hmm. of all, catch, just 
catching up us up in the history. Because I think it was smart of the show to not start with the origin. We know the origin and then later give us this. And I don't know, I kind of just wished we had that had kept going for the next 20 minutes. I mean, I guess at the speed they were going, they couldn't have got us, you know, but I don't know, maybe a showdown with Lex Luthor or something, some big stuff that must have happened to Superman during that period of time. The headband that Tal Rowe is using is very reminiscent of like Silver Age Krypton. I noticed that too, yeah. Stuff. I also noticed there's no Jimmy Olsen, right? Mm. In um, the flashbacks. No, and she I mentions want... him. Jimmy got a picture of, of something. But but he wasn't in it. No, someone refers like, to Jimmy as getting a picture. It was just like they were keeping the suspense going about the connection to Supergirl. Yeah. Um, and I know that this might this might end next week because we're going to finally get John Diggle, right? I think so. He's going to yeah. come and be on it. And that will presumably confirm that we are, in fact, in the Arrow. In, in the Arrowverse, yeah. But the fact that neither Supergirl nor Jimmy like actually showed up in this flashback to say or do anything, I was just like, okay. I mean, maybe they're just like, this is like, is it conscious or like, is it like behind the scenes logistics that are like preventing that from happening? Is it money? Is it time? The actors don't have time. I've got to believe it's a combination of both mm-hmm. intentional to try to separate themselves and uh, COVID stuff. Like they just, the casts can't mix. Like they just Ooh, can't, like literally Bitsy cool. Talek just got her second shot. She posted about it. Like in Canada, things are different there. So yeah. So like Melissa Benoist, like she's got a little baby on set that she's nursing and you know, like the, that, the Supergirl set is like a closed set. And so, and the same thing with uh, Superman that and really Lois. explains it a lot. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to complain about this anymore now that you have yeah. kind of pointed I, that out to me. But I think, you know, you could have at least stuck in a flashback of Superman opening Kara's pod. Right. You know, and then that would have given us some kind of, just like a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's controlling him with this headband and seemingly the episode ends on what seems like they're finally doing it. Ooh, evil Superman, which we've talked about, I think is just like so lazy and so dumb. However, I think they're not going there. I think it's one of these fake out things that they're that they're going to do, like that that's not going to be evil Superman. Was it your understanding that he was supposed to be mind controlled there at the end with that like beam or whatever? I think that's what they want us to think. And okay. I think I think that's not what's going to happen. I think he's going to like, I don't know, but I, I just... To me, mind-controlled Superman isn't really evil Superman. They're like two separate things. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, no, totally. Like the, the evil, the quote-unquote evil Superman in that episode of Supergirl where he fights Supergirl, yes, he's mind-controlled there. But all mind-control is is a plot device to be able to do that thing where you get to do evil Superman. Um, I'm listening to this great podcast called Save Me. It's an oral history, basically, of Smallville. And they've only had two episodes, but it's really good. And they talk about that, about like how the red, you know, they remind, they're reminding me of all this crazy stuff from 2002. But like the red kryptonite, you know, made Clark 
have no inhibitions. But so like that was their version of evil Superman. But all it is is like a device to make evil Superman. So anyway, I don't think that's where they're going, but I think they want us to think that. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, it seems like clearly they're setting up a thing where like John Henry Irons will be like, it's happening now. So I'm going to go all out to like get him. And um, our other characters, whether it's Lois or whether it's uh, Jordan and Jonathan, or I don't know, maybe even if it was Sam, that might be kind of interesting. Um, we'll have to like figure out what are the extenuating circumstances that make this different from what it was on John Henry Irons' world. And, you know, it'll work out. Uh, but, <laughs> yes, but it will work out. I mean, hopefully they get him, they save the day before he. If he killed even one person, then he would like not get over it when the mind control was over and like beat himself up about it forever, which I think would be a real bummer to watch. So my hope is that he doesn't even like get used to kill one person. I don't I don't ever I don't want Superman killing. Like I I actually it's the it's funny that it's the the last three issues that John Byrne did in that in his run, but I never liked that Superman killed the Phantom Zone villains. I liked the way the writers after Byrne told the story of how it affected him. I loved Exile in Space and everything after the Eradicator. I mean, just the way that that moment and why and you know and why he won't kill, but. I never liked that Superman actually did it in that, which is one of the reasons that like Man of Steel by Snyder was such a disconnect for me is that it ended with that. I, I don't want to see that. And so I, I certainly agree with you that like if he even kills one person, that wouldn't be good. I don't think they're going it that, that way. The show has faked us out in the last scene a number of times. Like that's their, that's one of their things. So I think like maybe he's his angry red eyes of anger are heating up to uh, to blast Talro. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think that he might go along, play along for a while and pretend to be mind-controlled. Um, or he might really be mind-controlled, but just, like, they'll play their cards in such a way that they make him do, like, a bunch of, like, tasks that are not murderous. Like, right. break into Fort Knox and steal all this gold for us or, you know, some other thing where it's, like, it's very destructive and powerful and it like seems really upsetting and alarming to the people who see that he's doing it, but like it doesn't actually cause any fatalities. And then after that, they like fix the mind control. Something like that is what I <laughs> Yeah. Great. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Also, here's another case where, I mean, we know why, you know, I, I reminded you why they can't do it actually, but like, so shouldn't Supergirl be helping him? Like there's an army of Kryptonians. Like where is his cousin? Wouldn't he, all he have to do is whistle or whisper Kara. And mm -hmm. like, I, I know they can't do it, but it's, it's hard to put that, that aspect uh, out of your mind. I mean, I, I, you know, I was thinking, I was re-listening to our episode from last time and you're so right about the Zod thing. It's so disappointing that they wasted Morgan Edge on not being actually Morgan Edge. I don't think this version of Superman cares that much about his Kryptonian heritage in the way he does his current family. Like maybe the Silver Age Superman who 
revered that Jorel and went back in time to you know like had the massive statues of his parents holding up the gigantic stone crypt yeah. the entrance to the fortress yeah but this this clark is like our our boy from kansas like mm-hmm. you know and so it's not this it's that version of clark which we like and so when they're doing they're going to do this moment like there are the kids and lois were already talking about it about is he going to choose between his kryptonian family or his earth family and it's like he doesn't have a crypto he doesn't know this guy talro and i don't think it's that big of a deal that another family member is here like car is already there he already has his first cousin he has his wife like i I just i don't buy that anyone would actually think that this version of clark would choose krypton over earth right i don't think so either that's not a real that's not a real conflict which is why they had to swerve and make it that it was like a threat to his family so he has to protect them um which is a real conflict but like the idea that he would actually be tempted by Talro's offer is just like not serious and like doesn't actually provide any drama because it's like he wouldn't. What he would be tempted to do is try to like talk him out of it and like somehow save the relationship instead of just taking the most like effective and quick disciplinary like action to shut down the threat. Um, that could be a temptation, I think. And there would be like something that like John Henry Irons could like really blame him for if he did that. Um, but like, yeah, I feel like Morgan Edge. The problem is, is usually that he's too much like Lex Luthor. <laughs> it's like they, 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 they went by making him not like Lex Luthor. They made him like Sod instead. So I, I don't know. That's kind of funny to me. But like, he could have been like a multi-season villain like Lex Luthor and like run his network and employed Gordon Godfrey and all that stuff. I don't know if they have the rights to the new gods or anything, but that would be like pretty cool if they introduced any of that. But, you know, I'll wait and see how this story plays out. Yeah. I mean, we only have four episodes left. Mm -hmm. So next week, and then I think they're just going till the end. Um, and then Supergirl will come back. Um, and they were renewed for season two already, right? They were renewed for season two after the pilot aired. Okay. Um, like that night, <laughs> got nice. got renewed. So uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah, she's going to call. I, John Henry Irons will have to make some sort of choice, you know, and little the Lois that gets him there, hopefully. I don't know. I mean, the, the question is, you know, these these kind of shows love to have a sacrifice at the end of a season. Someone always dies in these shows. We might see Kyle Cushing sacrifice himself to save like Jordan and Jonathan or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's I would not bet against it. <laughs> I would prefer if John Henry Irons at least lives and um, gets to become a sort of regular in future seasons, although it's hard to see right now. Like, there's no reason he would live in Smallville, right? So, like, he could only be a semi-regular. Like, if he moved to Metropolis, he could show up in the Metropolis episodes. Um, or or he could work with Sam, right? Like, he could use work for the U.S. government and just be, oh, good point. you know, like, maybe you want to get Sam away from them for a little bit, so you have John Henry Irons be in charge of of them you know and like there's still always that little bit of conflict where like he 
he now trusts Superman, but maybe he doesn't fully. That that same thing that Sam has, which is annoying about not trusting uh, Superman. Uh, they they he this one has a reason for that. Um, so you can do I think something. You like hit that. it. That's probably what they'll do. <laughs> Will I be happy that they went that way? Or will I be disappointed that I thought of it before they did? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Um, well, anyway, it was really great talking about this episode with you, Sam. Yeah, it was fun. I really liked it, at least the first half. Yeah, the first half. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely recommend watching it the first half again. Uh, it was, it was, it was just. It was like yummy Superman stuff wrapped up in a little gift. Like, you know, Bitsy had said, you know, this is truly a love letter to the fans. And maybe they didn't get everything right and smushed a lot of things. But there was, you could tell there was like care and um, intention behind it. And I, I appreciated that. Yeah, I appreciated that too. Even I don't love like all their choices, but like they were clearly you know, inspired to do something specific and at least one choice that I said before, the one to make Lois be like interested in this other story, I think was like a truly good choice that should be like a lasting feature of future versions of this part of the canon, so. Top notch. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you, Henry. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Our theme was composed and performed by Sam Bernstein. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another thrilling adventure of Superman and Lois and Pals.